If you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, we're going to be looking at verses 31 through 37 this morning. Mark 7, 31 through 37. Well, Charles Wesley was and still is one of the greatest hymn writers uh, to ever live. So he's the brother of, of probably the more famous John Wesley, the founder of, of Methodism. Uh, and Charles, unlike his brother, was a hymn writer, and he composed in, in the course of his life, over the course, course of his life, over 6,000 hymns. That's a, that's a lot of hymns. In fact, he would write a hymn of thanksgiving every birthday that he had. Um, so he was a very gifted hymn writer. And one of the most famous hymns, um, he actually wrote on the one-year anniversary of his conversion. So his spiritual birthday, he, he wrote this, this famous hymn, and in fact, it was originally titled, A Hymn to Celebrate Your Conversion. Okay, you've, you've probably not heard that sung here. It's, it's not in our hymn book, but it goes by the, the title, Oh, for a Thousand Tongues to Sing. We've sung it here, actually, not too long ago we did. And I just want to read two, actually, I'm going to read, yeah, two of the, the stanzas. And actually, when he first wrote it, it was 18 stanzas. Okay, so if you ever think we, we sing too many, too many verses here, imagine if we were to sing all 18 of his original stanzas. But, but listen to two of them. This is actually numbers 10 and 11 of the original. He says, He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the phallus clean. His blood availed for me. He speaks, and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful broken hearts rejoice. The humble poor believe. And so just in those, those two verses, what, what Wesley is doing is he's painting these pictures. He, he's giving these images that, that relate to conversion. So remember, it's about conversion. He's celebrating his conversion. And so what he's doing, he's giving these pictures. He breaks the power of canceled sin and, and sets the prisoner free. And so these, these are... These are Images that, that can convey the idea of conversion, of new life is given to the dead, and, and all of these. And so the, these, these images are of these spiritual realities. And then in the twelfth stanza, the very next one, here's what he writes. He says, Hear him, ye deaf, his praise, ye dumb, your loosened tongues employ, his blind, ye blind, behold, your Savior come, and leap ye lame for joy. And so there, he's, he, the very next, very next stanza or, or verse, he's comparing conversion with deaf people hearing, with mute people singing, with, with blind people seeing, and with lame people jumping. And so he's associating physical realities with, with, with spiritual realities. Do you see that? Do you see that? That's what he's doing. And I think he's right to do that. In fact, throughout this gospel so far, in Mark's gospel, we've seen hearing and seeing. Jesus says, do you not hear? Do, do you hear but not understand? Do you see but not, but not understand or, or perceive? And so there's, there seems to be in, in the Gospels, especially in Mark, but in all of them, where, where there's this overlap between this physical and spiritual realities. And so as we see in our passage today, we're going to see Jesus showing forth power over a, a disabled man, a, a deaf man and a, a dumb man, one who can't speak. And, and Jesus is going to show his power, his authority over these physical disabilities. But what I want us to do, we're, we're going to look at this as we walk through the passage. I want to encourage you to put on your, your Charles Wesley glasses and see not only the physical realities, but I think there's also underneath there's, there's the spiritual realities that, that Jesus also has authority over. 
So this story is going to show that Jesus' complete authority over physical disabilities, but he's also, I think Mark's intention is to show his, his complete authority, not only over physical, but also spiritual realities. So that's, that's what I want us to do. I want us to, to see that, that we, like this man, though we may, may have, have good eyes and ears and, and a mouth, though we may not be physical, physically disabled like him, I think we'll find that we are a lot more like this man than we might first think. And my hope is that as we get to the end of this, that we will see that we, like him, are in need of the deaf-defined, tongue-untying power of Jesus. So, so that's, that's my hope. Let's, let's read our passage together. Or you listen and I'll read. Follow along. I'm going to begin in verse 31 of Mark 7. It's Mark 7, 31. Then he, that's Jesus, returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So, so this, again, it's a short passage, just like, like last week. And so there's, there's three, three um, uh, outline points. There's, there's three, three main points. There's the setting in verse 31. We have the miracle itself. The, the actual interaction in verses 32 and 30 through 35. Then we have the conclusion of this occurrence in, in verses 36 through 37. So that's, that's, our, that's our outline. So let's, let's begin first there in verse 31. So notice, notice how Mark begins this account, verse 31. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And so as we read that, we, we can go, we can just pass over it. Um, I think I made this promise last week. Um, but I've included a map um, on the PowerPoint for you all to see. So I think, I think maybe you can see it, maybe you can't, um, but that, that's a map of, of the, the area. Now, it's not in color, and so, so bear with me. So I have a map here, so I don't have to keep turning around and looking. But so here, here's kind of the, the region. So if you look at the map, all the way near the top, there, there's a, a little circle. That's a, it's, it's blue. Maybe you can see that it's blue. But all the way at the top, and it says Galilee right beside it. So that's the Sea of Galilee. That, that's where all the mo- majority of Jesus' ministry is taking place. Okay, if you, if you go, actually go down south, further down south, there's a, a bigger, the, the more oblong blue shape. That, that's the Dead Sea. And so down there, that's Jerusalem. That's Nazareth. That's, that's Bethlehem. That's, that's where the temple is. And, and Jesus will go there often. Uh, between them is actually Samaria. So, so that's when Jesus goes down to Jerusalem, and he passes through Samaria. That, that's where that takes place. But... If you look back up at the Sea of Galilee, northwest, okay, there's the Mediterranean Sea, okay, so, so that's the sea, and at the very top of that map, it's Phoenicia, okay, and so there's two little dots right along the coast of Phoenicia, the two smaller dots, one's above and one's below the word Phoenicia, and so Tyre and Sidon are those two little dots on there, okay, if you can't see them, just trust me, okay, they're, they're right up at the top. And so, if you're going, so, so Mark is setting the stage, and he says, Jesus is going from Galilee to the Decap- Decapolis, Decapolis, however you pronounce it. So that's, that's on the, the eastern side, right in the middle. 
So if you're going from, from Galilee there, it's a pretty much a straight shot. Okay, just, just go right along the northern coast of the Sea of Galilee and you'll get to your destination. But what Mark says is that Jesus, he's going from, from Galilee to the Decapolis, but he goes from Tyre through Sidon, which is north. Okay, so he's going from, from Tyre up north in order to go southeast. Does that make sense? So it's a roundabout way. It's a bit like saying, I'm going from Richmond to Hampton by way of Washington, D.C. See, that, that, that doesn't make sense to me. And so that, that's what Mark, that's what Jesus is doing here with his disciples. So it's not exactly on the way. So it's strange that Jesus would do this. Now, unfortunately, I can't tell you exactly why Jesus and his disciples took this route. The, the, the one thing that we can know for sure is that he, Jesus is not too concerned with getting to his destination in the shortest amount of time. Okay? He, he's, not, he's not urgently, I've got to get there. He's, he's casually making his way around, goes, goes up north, and, and then eventually gets down to the Decapolis. Now, maybe he's taking this route because it enables him to avoid re-entering Galilee. Okay? So, so if he took the most direct route, he'd have to go through Galilee. Maybe he's trying to avoid that, the conflict with the religious leaders. Maybe he's saying, well, I've got to stay out of there. The, the tension is high. I can't, I can't go back there. Maybe Maybe he just wants to spend more time with his disciples in these Gentile populated lands. Maybe, maybe he wants his disciples to, to get a real, to, to taste and, and to smell what Gentiles are like and see him, him working miracles among them. Maybe he just wants to be with his disciples a little longer. Regardless of intention, Mark tells us that Jesus makes this circuitous route and then eventually ends up back in the Decapolis, which, if you remember, he was there before. He crossed the sea. There's a stormy sea, and he gets there, and that's where he met the, the demoniac, the man that was possessed by the legion of demons. And so here again, in, in this city, in this region, just like last time, he's going to encounter a man whose life would never be the same afterwards. So look there at verse 32, we see the, the miracle. Notice what happens. Verse 32, they brought to him, so, so they, it's never defined who the they is. Maybe it's his friends, uh, maybe it's his family, uh, who knows? Maybe it's this, his disciples, but, but they brought to him a man. A man who was, as Mark says, he was deaf and he had a speech impediment. And they, they bring him to Jesus, they beg him to lay his hands on him. So Mark tells us this man he can't hear and he has a speech impediment. Some of your translations may say that he could hardly talk or he spoke with difficulty. That regardless of the translation, the point is that his ears and his tongue, they don't work. Okay, they're faulty. There's something wrong with him. These are physical disabilities. And so, so they, most likely his friends, having heard about Jesus, maybe the demoniac had said, hey, you gotta, he, he's back in town. Take your friend to go see him. They hear about Jesus. They, they bring their friend to Jesus and they beg him to lay his hands on their friend showing faith. You, you can heal him if you're willing. It's in, there in verse 33. Notice what Jesus does. So, so here comes this man who, who has clear problems, clear disabilities, and, and they, they beg Jesus, lay, lay your hands on him. And so notice what Jesus does, beginning there in verse 33. First, taking him aside from the crowd privately. So that's a strange first thing for Jesus to do. They come, they want to be healed, and so he says, okay, let, follow me. We're, we're going to get away. We're going to get some privacy. Privacy. So it's another situation, which if you remember with the healing of the, the, the daughter of Jairus, he, he takes them away. He, he gets, gets everyone out of the house, and it's just him and her parents and, and a few of his disciples. He secludes himself from the crowd in this particular situation. Again, we don't know why. I mean, as I was practicing, the, practicing this, I'm going to say that a lot. We don't know exactly why. I wish I could give you answers, but I don't know. Um, but, but here, Jesus... 
He, he wants privacy as, as, he, as he performs this, this miracle. It fits with the secrecy motif that's characterized much of his ministry. Remember, there's this, don't let anyone know, don't let anyone know. Um, so this time here, Jesus takes the man aside. Now, again, we'll see at the end, going along with this, he tells the man, don't tell anyone what's happened to you. Now, that doesn't work because it says that the more he told them not to, the more they did. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that. But, but Jesus tells them to, to maintain this secrecy. Don't, don't tell anyone um, but they do. So here this man, he takes him away privately. Now, I just, I just had a thought here, and, and I want to pause and, and just make a brief comment. Think about the modern-day faith healers. Okay, think, think about the, the self-proclaimed miracle workers that, that we see on television in the world today, those who, who bear the name Christian, and I use that term lightly. But how different are the circumstances surrounding these modern-day men and women and their miraculous healings? Right? Private healing seems to be the last thing on their minds. Right? In, in fact, the objective seems to be the exact opposite. Get as many people to see or to attend this event. Make a big deal. Publicize and, and send out flyers and commercials and get as many people to pay to come or to pledge money so that these men and women, these, these faith healers, can continue their faith healing crusades. And, and they do it all in the name of Jesus and Christianity but you can smell them from a mile away, right? Their miracles are self-serving. Their ministries are self-serving. There's nothing God-honoring or Christ-like about any of it, right? And what a contrast we see here. Jesus doesn't care who sees, right? He's concerned with this individual. And so he takes them away, ministering to his needs. So just beware of those who claim, this is my last last statement on this. Beware of those who claim the name and miraculous power of Jesus without resembling him or his ministry in the least. Right? We must beware. Don't be deceived. So here Jesus takes the man aside. So, so notice what he does next. Maybe this is uncomfortable for, for some of you. Verse 33, he put his fingers into his ears. Now that's not his own ears like a child, but, but into the ears of this man. He put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, he touched his tongue. Now, that, now, that's how the ESV translates it, and, and some of you are okay with that, but if you have an NASB, it says that he put his fingers into his ears, and then he touched his tongue with the saliva. Okay, so the NASB says that Jesus spits, and then with the saliva from his hand, he touches the man's tongue, right? Now, now maybe for some of you, that's too much, right? What in the world? What, you germaphobes are, are crawling right now. Right, those of you, you remember a couple weeks ago, we had the, the hand-washing instance. If you were amening back then, now you're probably holding something back. Right? But, but Mark tells us that Jesus puts his fingers into the man's ears, spits, and then touches the man's tongue. So an obvious question, why? What in the world is Jesus doing? Hopefully we all recognize that, that this is intentional. Right? Jesus is doing this purposefully. It wouldn't be too hard of a thing for Jesus to, to, to forego all of this and just say, be opened, or be clean, or, or even think it, and it could happen. So Jesus has power to do that, but yet here he is doing these things. So why was he doing it? Now, you can find a lot of different explanations for this. One, one commentator, he argued that, that when Jesus sticks his fingers in the man's ear holes, he's, he's opening up the ear so then the, the demon can escape through the ear holes. Okay, well, some, some, some commentators would argue that Jesus is simply performing a, a type of black magic that would have been common in the region. So just playing the part of the, the local magic man. 
Now, obviously, I think these and, and many other explanations fall short of explaining with what's going on here. I think the most simple explanation is, is probably the most likely explanation. That's this. This man, his ears don't work. They're stopped. And it, his tongue doesn't speak. So if Jesus says something, this man can't hear. If, if Jesus, this man can't tell Jesus, here's my problem. He can't talk. And so here's Jesus touching his ears and his tongue, the, the two broken parts of this man. And so I'd argue that, that Jesus is simply speaking this man's language. He's communicating to this man. He knows the issues of this man. He knows where he's broken. And so at the outset of the, the miracle, it says, if Jesus is saying, your ears and your tongue, they're not too difficult for me to heal. I know your hurts. I know your problems, but I'm going to fix you. And, and actually, the, the healing balm, it's going to come from me. I'm going to fix you. And so we see the compassionate Savior. And so here is Jesus interacting with this man, who, by the way, let's, let's not forget, we're still in non-Jewish territory. And although there are Jews all scattered about, so there's probably Jews in Gentile areas, it, it's most probable that this man is a Gentile. He would have been unclean and impure, and so this man himself would have been off limits to the Jews. Not to mention touching him, his ears and, and his tongue. Off limits for the Jews, but here's Jesus doing exactly that. But, but that's not all Jesus does. Look there in verse 34. He puts, the ears, puts his fingers in his ears, he spits, he touches his tongue. Then in verse 34, and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, that is, be opened. And so Jesus looks up to heaven, sighs, and he says, be opened. And again, we have to ask, well, why? Mark isn't wasting any details. He's recording exactly what Jesus does because I think he's convinced that, that Jesus is doing these intentionally. And so he looks up to heaven. This isn't uncommon in Jesus' ministry. Remember the breaking of the bread? He, he looks up to heaven. He prays at, at Lazarus' grave. He, he looks up and he, he thanks the Father. And so this is a, a posture of, of prayer. This is Jesus acknowledging, just like at the tomb of Lazarus, that, that God alone is the source of this miracle, that he alone is able to perform what's about to happen. It, it's a, a, a posture of prayer and dependence. This isn't some magic trick. This is, this is the activity of God alone. And so he looks up to his Father in heaven, and he sighs. Now, why, why is he sigh? Is this a sigh of, of frustration? We, we, we see that sometimes in Jesus where, where the people don't believe. They say, do this miracle, and, and there's a frustration. Is, is that what's going on here? Is this, is this a sigh of exertion, a, a physical exhaustion that's going to happen, that, that he's going to have to exert for this, for this miracle? Is this a sigh of, of compassion? I mean, what kind of sigh is this? The, if you have the NASB or the NIV, or maybe a different one, those are the two that I, that I found, but if you have one of those, they translate the sigh as a deep sigh. Okay, so, so they're making an interpretive decision there. They're saying it's a deep sigh. And so I don't know if we can know for certain the reason behind it, but I do think it's right to understand this as, as a deep sigh. It, it's an emotionally involving sigh. And I think it's, it's even to be understood in light of his looking to heaven. It's a prayerful sigh. If, if, you're, if you're familiar with the language of Romans 8, when Paul's talking, it's a groan, right? This, this prayerful groan that, that Paul talks about. I think that's what's going on here. I think this is a, a, a sign, a, a groaning prayer. And so I think Jesus, in this situation, he's expressing both an emotional sympathy with the man. 
So, so he's, he's frustrated at this man that, that he's experiencing this, that his body's not working. He's, he's frustrated at the condition of this man. I think he's letting the man know. He's letting whoever's on, the onlookers know that, that there's, this is not right, that this condition is, is causing uh, frustration for Jesus. But, but it's also, I think, a frustration that, that things aren't right. A, a broader sigh that the world is broken that the world is all under a curse, and this man before him is a, is a symbol of the broken world all around. And so in this sense, I think Jesus is, is joining with all of creation that is groaning for the redemption that's to come. I think that's part of what, what's going on here. We'll, we'll say more about that in a second. But for now, we see Jesus look up to heaven, and he sighs, and then he speaks. And I would argue this is the most important part of the healing. Nothing that he's done prior has, has brought about the miracle it's not the putting his fingers in his ears. It's not the touching the tongue. It's not even the, the sign or the looking to heaven, but it's, it's the command that accomplishes this healing. It's the command of Jesus that accomplishes the, the miracle. The command, be opened. The command, be opened. His word is what brings about the change. I mean, remember on the sea? Peace be still, right? It's his word that accomplishes Remember at the, at, the, at the grave of Lazarus in John chapter 11, he says, Lazarus, come forth. It's the word that, that is the power. And, and even before any of the, either of those, at creation, Jesus is the one who, who created the world by the word of his power, upholds the world. His voice is powerful. And so Jesus, this voice, be opened. And in verse 35, are we really surprised to find recorded, and his ears were opened. His tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. So just like that, this means impossible physical debilities. We assume he had been suffering his entire life. They were gone, erased, eliminated. One moment, one command, one word from Jesus, and he was healed. And so then we have the conclusion, verse 36 and 37. Jesus charges them, this man included, and everyone that, that's there, tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. Once again, so the, the secrecy theme. Jesus says, don't, don't tell, and they do. I, I mean, I thought about the same dynamic that plays out in our home very often. When you tell a child not to do something, don't touch, don't touch. It's as if they're hearing, touch, 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 all you want. That's what's going on here. Jesus is saying, don't, don't tell, and yet they, they can't help but proclaim the healing power of Jesus. And then verse 37, Mark summarizes this interaction. He says, and they were astonished beyond measure. And notice what, it, what they're saying. This is important. They're saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And so, so as we close, I, I want to close with, with three specific applications for us. Okay, three specific applications. First, there's a, a looking back at the power of Jesus. And this relates to, to what these people say at the end of verse 37. So as Mark closes this, this passage with a quote from his onlookers, I think that Mark is intentionally doing so in referencing an Old Testament passage. I think that, that, G, that, that Mark is wanting his readers to, to think back to, a, to an Old Testament passage. So if you have a, a study Bible, if you have cross-references, you, you, hopefully it points to Isaiah 35 there. That, that should point you back to that. Listen, listen to Isaiah 35, um, specifically verses 5 and 6. So here's the prophet Isaiah, and here, here, here's what he's, he says. He says, then, so there, there's this coming day, 
Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. And so that's the Old Testament passage I think Mark is wanting us as readers, wanting his audience to think about. When he closes saying that these people are, are saying he even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak, that's a big deal that Jesus is doing that. And so I think Mark wants us to identify the activity of Jesus in chapter 7 with the activity of God himself in Isaiah 35. In Isaiah 35, it's all about this this coming salvation that God is going to bring about. And and it's about the promise that that God is one day going to restore, is going to fix everything. All of creation is going to be restored. And all the things that are predicted in Isaiah 35 are things that will happen, according to Isaiah 35, when God appears. And when he brings about his great salvation. So here, when Jesus makes a deaf man to hear and a mute man to speak, it's a sign, it's a declaration. It's as if it's screaming, this man is bringing the great salvation that was promised in Isaiah 35. And all the readers and and all the audience are supposed to identify Jesus as the one bringing about what only God can do. So in this man, we're seeing the glory of the Lord, the majesty of God that that is referenced in Isaiah 35. And so the, the power on display in the person of Jesus is the power of none other than God himself, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. And so we can't miss that, that this one here in Mark 7 is the one that we worship. This one here in Mark 7 is the one that we praise. This is the one who has accomplished, who has brought about our great salvation. And so the first application is that as Jesus steps on the stage, he's the culmination of of all the revelation from God that had come before. He's superior to every prophet, every priest, and every king that preceded him. He's the substance. They were the the shadow. He comes as the one overall, and his power was on the scene long before Jesus was incarnate. This is the power of God himself. Well, Well, secondly, second application, looking ahead or looking forward to the power of Jesus. You know, a difficulty that, that a lot of people have when, when they read accounts of miraculous healings like this one, so he, here's a, a deaf man and, a, and a, a mute man who's, who's healed. And so a lot, of, a lot of people will say, well, well, why are physical disabilities still here? Why do people still suffer from things like this? If, if Jesus has this kind of power, and if Jesus is able to cure any and every disease, well, why in the world are they still here? Or maybe even, even more personal, why am I still suffering like I am? And that, that's a tough question. That's a tough question. Some of you may be asking, why doesn't Jesus just heal me? Why am I broken the ways that I am? Now, anyone who claims to be able to, to tell you the, the specific answer to that question, right? they, they can't. They're lying. No one knows the, the exact reason why. But what I can tell you is that if you're here as a sufferer this morning, if, if you are here as a sufferer who, who's put your hope in Christ, if you're one who trusts in Him alone for your salvation, I can tell you this. Your healing is coming. Do you hear me? Your healing is coming. Your, your current suffering, whatever it is, your current disability, it's temporary. Your suffering is temporary. Even if you're plagued by disease or disability for the rest of your earthly life, your suffering is temporary. Your healing is coming. Although some people experience supernatural healings while they're, while they're living on earth, 
That, that happens. The reality is most people don't. Most people suffer their entire earthly lives with some type of disability or, or disease. And the good news of this passage, the good news of, of, of the promise of this passage, the hope for you and the hope for me, is that Jesus' total and complete power and authority is over physical suffering. And one day, his total power, his complete authority over physical suffering will be realized by all of his people. Every last one will fully realize his complete restoring power. Brother, sister, because of who Jesus is, and because of what Jesus has done, there's hope. There's a coming resurrection. There's a day when the sons of God will be revealed in all of creation. Our bodies included will be made new. And brother, sister, this physical resurrection will be as real, if not more real, than the disease that is currently destroying your body. There's a future resurrection. The power of Jesus will be put on display in that day. Let that encourage you. That is a hope-giving truth. So let the future display of the power of Jesus give you hope now. Fight the fight of faith now. Read Job. Be encouraged by Job. Refuse to allow your suffering to rob you of hope and future because we have a sure and future hope and future joy. So that's a forward-looking power of Jesus. And then lastly, the spiritual power of Jesus. I think that one of the reasons that, that Mark records this event is because it represents another reality, what I mentioned earlier, the spiritual reality. In the context of Mark's gospel, we've seen a continual failure of people to hear and to understand. So some of the, the scribes and Pharisees, but even their own, his own disciples, they don't get it. They're blind. They're spiritually disabled. I mean, in, in chapter 8, in a, in a few weeks or months, Jesus asked them, have you eyes and don't, having eyes do you not see and having ears do you not hear? He's asking them questions about physical body parts, but, but he's in, intending them to understand them spiritually. So that, that's their spiritual physical overlap. And so in the Gospel of Mark, there, there's this overlap, and so when we see Jesus overcome these physical disabilities, I don't think it's a stretch to understand the, the additional application of the spiritual. And so whether we suffer from physical disease or disability or not, like this man, the deeper reality is that every single one of us are spiritually disabled. That's, that's just the human condition. We are all blind, deaf, lame, and mute. We all suffer from the most severe forms of spiritual disability. Now, that's the human condition. In this passage, it teaches us that Jesus is the one with authority and power over every type of disability, spiritual included. And so if you're here, not a Christian, you're not trusting in Christ alone for your salvation, can I tell you that you are blind, deaf, lame, and mute? You are spiritually disabled. You cannot perceive it. It's like you have blinders on your eyes. You can't perceive the realities of, of who God is, of, of what Jesus has done. You, you don't understand the good news of the gospel. In fact, it's foolishness to you. You can't understand, but, but God has the power to open blind eyes, to, to, to open deaf ears, to heal lame, and to give voices of praise to the mute. God is able and that's good news for you this morning if you're not a Christian. There's nothing too hard for him. So I would ask, I would encourage you to ask God to open your eyes. As people tell you, maybe you've grown up hearing the gospel your whole life and it's, it's just foolishness. It's crazy. 
Ask God to open your eyes, to grant you understanding to the, to the realities of the gospel, to, to who he is. I would challenge you, commit to reading parts of the Bible. Maybe, maybe pick the gospel of John and just read. Read a chapter a day, praying, God, open my eyes to see who Jesus was, what he did, who you are. God, give me faith. You're dependent on God to work. The good news is he's able to and he's willing to, and, and so I would, I would encourage you to do that. But, but it's not just the non-Christian who's spiritually disabled. If, if you're here and you're a Christian, you're dependent on God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear. And if you're a Christian and you're honest with yourself, I hope you'd recognize that, that you still struggle with spiritual dullness. I know I do. Yep, just reading words on a page again on a Monday morning. What good is this doing? I got so many other things to worry about this morning. We're spiritually dull, we're, we're dry, we're, we're apathetic, there's no fervor, there, there's, no, there's no fire, there's no heat or light as we're, as we're reading Scripture, we're going through our, our spiritual lives, we're, we're complacent, and, and these are all things that, that are real for Christians. It's okay that this is your experience, it's, it's true of every Christian. Right? If you meet a Christian who says they, they never struggle with these things, they're, they're lying. It's just, that's just the reality, we, we don't live life on, on these mountaintops. But the good news for us is that Jesus has power. Jesus has, has the ability to cure every spiritual disability. And so, so Christian, cast yourself on him. Cry out to him. Pray, pray the prayers of the Psalms. Open my eyes to the wonders of your word. Pray that prayer every morning before you read. Open my eyes. If, if God, if you don't open my eyes, I'm not going to benefit at all from this reading. Cry out to God. You're dependent on him. Cast yourself on him in faith. Believe that he desires for you to have an abundant life. He does. That's why he came. And so cry out to him. Jesus has power. And that's good news for all of us. Let's pray. Father, you alone are able to open blind eyes, to to give give hearing to deaf ears, to give give voice to, to dumb tongues. And so we thank you that, that you are able and that you have so many times before done exactly this among your people. And so we pray that you continue to, to do so. Give us sight, give us, give us voice, give us ears, give us understanding. Help us to live lives alive, full of life for your sake.